0: You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week, and with me are Will Doran, Don Vaughn, and Colin Campbell. So we thought we'd do things a little differently this week. Usually we talk about all the developments in the week in North Carolina politics, Uh, But since it's not only a slow couple of weeks here in North Carolina politics, uh, but also uh, a good time to look back and assess the year gone by and uh, talk about what's coming up, uh, we thought we'd do Headliner of the Year. Usually we end our segments with Headliner of the Week, but this time we'll just talk about who the Headliner of the Year should be. So uh, for each of you, I want to hear who the most interesting person, place, or thing of the year uh, was. And uh, if you have any thoughts about 2020, I suppose we can uh, we can bounce those around too, but um, let's start with that. So Will Doran, who's your headliner of the year? Uh, well, I've
1: got to go with, I, I think what took up probably half of my time in 2019, which was gerrymandering. Um, obviously we had uh, several major, major court cases on that. Uh, North Carolina made, you know, national precedent at the U.S. Supreme Court when they ruled that partisan gerrymandering isn't something that federal courts can uh, can opine on. Uh, I mean, that was the first time that the court had ever ruled on that was for a North Carolina case. And so, you know, made news there, but then, you know, kicked it back to the state courts and state courts found the exact opposite that, you know, oh, yeah, according to the North Carolina Constitution, you can Uh, have partisan gerrymandering, not just racial gerrymandering, be a constitutional violation. And that led to, uh, we redrew not all, but a very large amount of our lines for the state legislature, uh, the House and the Senate, and then obviously all of the lines for our U.S. House seats. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, you see Democrats likely to pick up more seats under these maps. It's still kind of toss-up since we are a swing state obviously uh you know who is going to have control of the legislature uh, in the 2020 elections going to 2021 when guess what we're going to be doing gerrymandering again uh 2021 whoever under the current rules unless there's some sort of reform uh whoever has control of the legislature gets to draw the lines for the next decade and probably invite the next decade's worth of lawsuits Uh, we've seen tons and tons of lawsuits over this stuff i have no doubt, we'll see even more. But um, you know, when you have this system where politicians uh, get to kind of you know go behind closed doors and decide who their voters are going to be, where the lines are going to fall, what neighborhoods are or aren't going to be in a certain person's district, that gives them a lot of power. And you know, we did definitely see the courts crack down on that, uh, issue some pretty strong rebukes to Republican lawmakers on the way that they have uh, used that system of redistricting over the past decade. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it was the huge story of the year, made national headlines uh, here. Obviously, Democrats are probably going to pick up a couple more seats in the U.S. House as well, um, as well as the state legislature getting potentially more competitive in 2020. So, gerrymandering.
2: Yeah, I wonder in 2020 if we'll see particularly if it looks like it's gonna be a bad year for Republicans, any sort of reform efforts. There was that committee meeting towards the end of the year where uh, I think it was the House Elections Committee took up just a brief discussion of like several of the proposals that were out there. Um, And since then we've seen some uh, further pushes, particularly for I think the constitutional amendment version. But I'm curious if any of those have any traction. And if they do, like, is there any agreement on what nonpartisan redistricting should look like in terms of outcomes? Because I, you go through this whole process, and yes, the outcome seems to be more favorable to Democrats, but in terms of the number of competitive races, it doesn't look like the districts are going to be any more competitive as a whole than they were under the previous maps. We can still look at the maps and say,
1: this is going to be a Democrat, this is going to be a Republican, unless all hell breaks loose and something changes. Um, Yeah, depending on who you talk to, they have different ideas for reform. You know, is something fair if you're basically guaranteed proportional representation? You know, Democrats win 45% of the vote, so they get 45% of the seats. Or is, you know, reform fair when you have a ton of highly competitive seats and very few safe seats? So you don't necessarily know going into an election that it will or won't be proportional. You just know that you're going to have some competitive elections. Um, So there's kind of, you know different schools of thought on that. Um, And like you said, there's, I think there's at least three different bills, maybe more, uh, kicking around in the legislature. There's two main ones that have both Democratic and Republican sponsors on it. Um, The Constitutional Amendment one, uh, which is called the Fair Act, actually has a, a majority of the North Carolina House is signed on as a co-sponsor yeah and then this, there's this uh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> advocacy group that's pushing for that
2: specifically although they think they're open to other things and that's the one that has like former UNC President Tom Ross businessman Art Pope have all come together skip stamps um, on it yeah so yep. it's a very uh, bipartisan group and I think I even saw Dallas Woodhouse the former uh, NC Republican Party executive director tweeting something about how he thought there should be more support uh, for that coming forward um, so we'll, we'll see if that yeah. ever makes it out of committee, I, I certainly
1: won't hold my breath. But. Well, obviously, the legi- legislature is going to be back, uh, what, January 14th. Yeah. Um, I doubt that the very first thing on their agenda is going to be to start talking about redistricting reform, gerrymandering reform, but like you said, you know, the if we get further into 2020 and Republicans start seeing polls that, you know, oh, maybe Democrats are going to have a decent year in North Carolina in 2020, maybe we want to think about reform, then, you know, you could see this discussion started to pop up this spring, or maybe this summer. Uh, you know, recently uh, the uh, the editors at the News and Observer named uh, Bob Phillips, the head of Common Cause, as one of our finalists for the, the Tar Heel of the Year award, and uh, they asked me to write that profile on him. And he was telling me that back when he was working with the Republicans and kind of against the Democrats uh, back in 2009, a decade ago, on gerrymandering reform, then that it was like June of that election year, June of 2010 that he was still trying to convince Democrats that it would be in their best interest to do reforms and they didn't listen to him and obviously that kind of came back to bite them in the butt because Republicans won and ushered you know swept into power, kind of you know lost their appetite for reform and just kind of continued on the the same old system that the Democrats have been using. So
3: was there ever a time where like either party actually wanted like fair maps that didn't, um, favor themselves.
1: Um, it seems that the party in the minority usually has a pretty uh, hefty appetite for reform. Yes, it does.
3: One uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of the least control wants the most control. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, uh, Then you that, switch and you're like, I've sponsored oh, what, Bill? Well,
2: that uh, looks terrible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I must have been an idiot two years ago.
1: So, you know, and yeah, and you, you've seen Democrats uh, be pretty forceful saying, oh, you know, if we do win control of the legislature in 2020, we're definitely going to. I did say that. Know, I tweeted your story out and a couple in. of
3: them said like, no, we're not going to be the ones picking it. We'll right. But, so you know, maybe.
1: that's that's what they're saying now. But, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, and, you know, I mean, maybe the fact that it has been such a big story and has made such you know big headlines does kind of commit them to. To support any reforms if they do manage to. Yeah. Uh, to I just see it game.
2: being but, a yes, I support reform, but your reform sucks. Um, that seems to be where we're headed because I've seen, you know, even the, the Eric Holder redistricting group has had some criticism of the the finer points of the redistricting plans uh, that are on the table from the. Yeah,
1: they don't um, like the constitutional amendment. Yeah, so uh, I think
2: no matter what comes out there, someone's going to see flaws in it and ultimately they're not going to support it, which then paves the way for. Things to stay the same
1: potentially in the future, and you know, I, I think that's definitely true. Everyone that I've talked to on both sides, um, Republican Chuck McGrady, who's the the main sponsor of that constitutional amendment, the Fair Act, who, you know has been you know very straight up when I've asked him about it, said like, yeah, I you know I, I threw this out there to hopefully get a conversation started. I don't expect it to you know look exactly the same as the version I sponsored. You know, if it does actually go through, and you know, and and you've heard Democrats say that too, like you know. Sure, we can talk about details, but let's at least talk about something cuz right now you, you know, you saw all these bills get filed in February and then have just been stuck in committee ever since then. Even the one that has over half the house of representatives as co-sponsors. Yeah, like been it's, it stuck seems in to be committee. the thing is that, you know,
2: if you're if you're in the majority party, you can still support redistricting just as long as you're not the chair of the redistricting committee or the rules chair or one of the people who would actually have to let the bill move, um, and if you're those people, then you're the you know small percentage of your party that's saying absolutely not, never. We're we cool the way things are right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think back too to the uh, what the uh, debate over the elections boards and creating bipartisan elections boards. Mm-hmm. So bipartisan is definitely in the eye of the beholder, uh, because you know that that <laughs> yeah. was a fight for a long time. Yeah, for, remember
2: when we were going to have an elections board with like an equal number from both parties, and then. <laughs> the people who weren't getting their party and were mad about that. And now we're back to where we were.
3: Remember yeah. when government was fair and everybody got along?
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, well, and you know, we also, if we, if we're, uh, if we had a person as the headliner, it, it might be Bob Phillips. It might also be Tom Hoffler. Um, who's uh, pick
2: your which, gerrymandering
1: mascot? Could be uh, what about gerrymandering? Be, uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, it could Jerry... be
1: David Lewis or Bob Rucho, mm-hmm. whose names have been on top of these lawsuits that you know have, have gone all over the place and yeah. uh, drawn so much attention. But yeah, uh, Tom Hoffler, the, uh, the deceased uh, GOP gerrymandering expert from Raleigh, uh, obviously a, a huge figure not just in state politics but national politics with everything that he did. Uh, with the Trump administration and uh, changing the census or trying to change the census to have the citizenship question and everything. and But that's a tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're sticking with North Carolina, where my headliner
0: is gerrymandering. Okay. All right. Don Vaughn, who's your headliner of the year?
3: I'm going to pick a person or a couple people in a moment and a day. It's all the same thing, though. Um, so I'm going to say my headliner of the year is the floor exchange between representative deb butler the Wilmington democrat and house speaker tim moore uh, republican on the morning of september 11th and the house um, override of of governor cooper's budget veto um, because that made national news for various reasons not because everyone cares about what north carolina is spending on certain things or not but more of the moment and the video of Butler uh, shouting at Moore and saying um, I will not yield and that being a phrase that took off and that she brought up when she introduced Elizabeth Warren when she came campaigning and kind of along the lines of the nevertheless she persisted type of thing. So it was like a catchphrase, but it was a a moment. Um, The other lines in there were Butler's arguing with Moore saying like you shall not usurp the process. And so that process of the vote That morning, for those of us that are a little more wonky, is more, um, I feel like, the more headliner moment of just how they did that and the explaining of um, when votes are taken and when they're not and when things are discussed on the floor or not and when, um, even if they have a session, um, what they actually do or don't do. And, you know, wrapped up in that is um, this whole exchange between David Lewis and Darren Jackson about whether or not there were going to be votes that day. So I think just all of it, but primarily Butler because she's the one who uh, is in the video and she's the one that um, pretty famously called out the speaker. And she's
2: on a t-shirt being sold by the NC democratic party right now with a picture of Butler looking very stern and the words I will not yield uh, surrounding her head. Yeah.
3: So I think, I mean, it was really (laughs) more than a budget override vote. Um, I think a lot of people care about the budget, but not, um, I think it's symbolic of a, a lot of other things. And, um, obviously people that are unhappy, um, with the speaker and, and Butler clearly was. Um, and I think that was just kind of an example of that. Um, and also, you know, it was the Republicans who for a very long time, um, did not have any power and now they do. And, um, just how they're handling that and whether or not they can maintain it in the future and just how all of that is going to play out really just a lot of, you know, finding out things with, you know, Harry Brown, the, um, a major, you know, Republican leader in the Senate, not running again, and finding out when, um, you know, what happened when he was in the minority, and what Democrats have done with this like lottery vote, and so you know, people are, like we we're talking before about or um, not on Dometcast about um, grudges and, and longtime uh, political thoughts and, and memories, and I think uh, moments that we see that explode on the scene um, locally, statewide, and and nationally are all connected to the things in the past too.
0: And it's, it's symbolic about of how divided power has been kind of the big theme of North Carolina state government the last couple of years, because, you know, in some of the past, the big moments would have been, uh, past years, big moments would have been Republicans, you know, moving HB2 through really quickly or, um, you know. Passing big tax cuts. Right. Or, or ramming through social legislation or, or taking away Roy Cooper's uh, powers before he some of his powers before he took over uh, in a surprise session but in this case it was this was something that they that the republicans pushed through that actually didn't even end up becoming law because it couldn't get through the senate although stay tuned uh, it although might stay, still although stay tuned. And, uh, what do you think is you think that's going to happen
2: I think there's a possibility of it. What that um, the
3: Senate even calls the override? Yeah, well, they
2: said they will call one in January. They said that in October, I, but they might actually. <laughs> did they say quit. it in
3: September? But here's my they thing it with that.
2: Open. So, <laughs> you look difficult. at who the potential swing votes who could defect from the Democratic Party are in the Senate. That's Don Davis, uh, Ben Clark, and Toby Fitch because they're the ones who voted for the budget initially. Um, they don't have primary challengers um, and there was talk that speculation that yes. if had they got a democratic primary they would stand firm against the budget because they don't want that to be used against them in a primary uh, but they do have general election opponents and i think those opponents in those sort of moderate districts uh, may try to use their opposition to the budget as a issue in the campaign and that could cause them to be more willing to Uh, Cut a deal with the Republicans of some sort and go for that. I mean uh, Toby Fitch for one has not committed one way or the other How he's gonna vote they keep saying 21 strong, but when I went up to Fitch Two months ago, I think it was and I asked him how you're gonna vote. He said I don't know. I don't know I don't know it's not before me at this time So that was our our quote of the day in the insider one day. Yeah, Um, he's got a history of uh, When he was in the house before like decades ago uh, leading this like faction sort of I don't know if it was called Gang of Eight or something. There was some nickname for it in the old press coverage where they went against their party to try to um, get some certain pieces of legislation passed and, and work with Republicans on. So there's there's a history here, and I think. It's a history that could repeat, potentially.
3: Well, let's not forget that Senator McKissick has not been sworn in to the Utilities Commission What is Floyd Commission McKissick yet?
2: doing? I've been trying to call this oh, he does what Floyd emails. wants to do. <laughs> he said <laughs> he over a saying. month ago he was going to take the uh, Utilities Commission appointment. He is. And he, he is he
3: going to take it. When is he going to take yeah. it? That is it? So there's a vacant seat <laughs>
2: sitting over there yes. that has his name on it, and he doesn't seem to be eager to jump he over doesn't there and, have to and get that sweet yet. six-figure salary. No,
3: so he can, you know... I guess he's going to do what he and, and like, in, in theory, like, you want, you know, a politician that isn't always going to do what the caucus tells you to do. You know, no. I don't know how he's he one of
2: those that people that he's though. entertained to watch because he's, you know, he's a smart politician and he definitely is not just towing the party line, whether it's, you know, but our, but following who else the governor's would there be? push to.
3: I mean, like, who else would, like, other than, I mean, if we have those three and then, I, I don't know. No, it just takes one of
2: those three.
1: I mean, that's all. They don't want a to go. If the Senate doesn't override, though, then you know, backing up Don's point about this being kind of a, a headliner-worthy event, like how much of a just fitting microcosm for politics would this be? Yeah. You just have this this whole huge drama blow up. Drama makes the national news. Nothing happens. You know, kind of strains relationships, and it doesn't matter. Completely at all. inconsequential it because if the Senate no. doesn't act,
2: <laughs> we probably don't have a formal budget until probably after the next election. I mean, normally what happens is they come back in the short session in April or May and pass a a budget, which is essentially amendment to the two-year budget um, Mm. to sort of allocate the extra money coming in and some additional needs. If they don't have a budget that to be amending with a short session budget, are they even going to try to do a budget at all, or are they just going to come in in April and pass some other bills that have nothing to do with budget items and then go home?
3: Well, they have to do is whether or not they're going to win election in twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, I think that's what yeah, it's to. all the you know the calculus that I'm sure they've got
0: to deal with. But do you think they will feel the need to do something about at least teacher raises? I know that the Senator Berger has said that they can't do teacher raises without doing the whole budget because it's such a big part of the overall. Imagine
3: budget. that! Imagine that paycheck. When you get if it's retroactive to the start oh, of the yeah. fiscal uh, year, though,
0: so <laughs> or
2: to the start of two fiscal years potentially. I mean, the, uh, you know, the every the, teacher in the state goes out and buys a new car. They would <laughs> all want to do that in uh, October. There, there could be another, you know, mini budget to come through. Um, whether yeah, there would I be an think... agreement on the level of teacher salaries, because Democrats are still pushing for a a bigger teacher raise than what the Republicans want, and those negotiations one they haven't functioned at all, as far as I know, in the last couple months. But up, up until October, mm-hmm. they. They still couldn't agree on numbers, um, and so if they don't, you're just going to see another veto and another lack well, of an override.
3: You really think Cooper would veto another one if it was higher? Because I mean, all know. the Democrats went—I mean, I think they all went for it, right? Because you're not going to say no to the money, but maybe they already knew Cooper, Cooper was going to veto it, so they were comfortable. Yeah,
2: I mean, it. if it's a higher number, then it's, you know, they can sort of give him a put-up or shut-up sort of thing, but— you know, he's vetoed it once. I it would not be surprised if he vetoes it again and sticks to the numbers that he's looking for as what he thinks teachers should
3: be paid. Well, and that's what you can campaign on to, right? For both Cooper and all 170 Yeah. People. I mean, you're going to see. I, you're I wanted to get you this point, raise I and, yeah. and but it, it really both sides win because the Democrats say, you know, I'm sorry, you don't have your raise yet, but I really want to get you more money. And the Republicans can say, look, you could have already had that money in your paycheck, you know, and they're holding out on that and I'm fighting for you to get this. And they weren't. So it really is like, you know, they can both both play it to their advantage, I'd say.
0: Okay. So our headliner candidate here is the budget vote, over, budget override vote. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Colin Campbell, who's your headliner of the year?
2: Um, I'm also doing a sort of broadish topic um, and it sort of dovetails with what we've just been talking about, but I'm going with healthcare uh because that's sort of been the the undertone i mean the reason we've had this whole budget battle it comes down to medicaid expansion um i think if republicans had given into the governor and the democrats desires to have medicaid expansion in north carolina we would almost certainly have a budget by now Um, but because no one seems to be willing to sort of give an inch on that except maybe a few uh, republican lawmakers in the house that were looking for some sort of middle ground uh on medicaid expansion that's kind of why we're at where we're at right now Um, but that doesn't mean we haven't had some legitimate movement on, on healthcare this year. There've been a couple other bills that have passed. I think the most notable, In terms of practical implications, healthcare legislation uh, that came out of 2019 was the Small Business Healthcare Act that was designed to help uh, businesses that um, have a very small number of employees sort of pool their resources together through a trade association, a local chamber of commerce, that sort of thing, um, and create sort of a group healthcare plan. Um, A lot of the pro-business groups in the state were really, really pushing hard for that. There was some criticism of whether um, it would truly help and and have all the protections that are, are in other you know health insurance laws for pre-existing conditions and things like that um, but i think as far as what the legislature did that actually had a real impact outside of Jones Street this year that might be one of the the top pieces of legislation in terms of just the number of people who could be directly affected by it so also it goes into the healthcare theme but ultimately is you know still smaller than the potential changes that would come along with Medicaid expansion and that was of course arguably one of the biggest um, you know Legislative fights of this year, and one that will probably continue into next year, and maybe the year after that, depending on what the political climate looks like and who won which office.
0: And we're still waiting to uh, see the total overhaul of Medicaid to be privatized and put in the hands of um, you know private health insurers too. Which yeah, because that's on hold. The
2: There's not funding for that. There's no indication that that may change at least in the next couple of months. So that may be on hold for a while, which leaves a lot of uh, insurance companies, medical providers, uh, Medicaid recipients sort of in limbo of exactly what does the system look like. And it's all...
3: There's well, the com- tech, it's the taxpayer waste of ramping up for Medicaid transformation that was postponed. So, yeah. I mean, like how much money is lost on saying you're going to do something and then not doing it.
0: Well, healthcare is for sure going to be um, one of the biggest issues in the, in the election. And that goes for um, federal races, too. I mean... T- the Democrats and are going to go after Tom Tillis on the health care bill, um, probably as much as anything else. But then, even within the
1: Democratic primary to take on Tillis, right. you have you know for all five debate. Democrats running and five different opinions on you know how to handle Medicare. Um, you know they're kind of all over the map and you know staking out different constituencies of the the Democratic base and you know. Trying to figure out which which message is kind of the winning message there.
0: Right, the Cal Cunningham, um, you know, who's the the best finance candidate, seems has not seemed to um, it, it certainly has not embraced the the whole idea of Medicare for all. Um, but also, I don't think has taken a. A firm position on what exactly his policy would be uh, so. Yeah, from what I've seen kind
1: of the three runners, I mean, you know, he he is definitely tacked the closest to the center saying he definitely doesn't like Medicare for All. Then you have uh, Trevor Fuller, who's kind of gone the opposite direction, said, heck yeah, bring it on. And then in the middle, you have Erica Smith who has kind of waffled and said, yeah, maybe, maybe not, you know, look at the different plans um, and, you know, seems to be open to a number of different ideas. Um, and I mean, just even looking at the, the presidential primary on the Democratic side, you know, there's Eighteen million people running for president uh, for the Democrats, and just as many different, <laughs> you know, views on how to how to reform the the Medicaid system or the healthcare system as a whole.
3: I really think it's going to come to like you know how much of the whole down ballot factor on the I mean the presidential election as far as like how things are going to be and the future of healthcare is depending on like whatever the party position is you mm-hmm. know both at the state and national level and I think all the talking about it and everything else really isn't going to impacted as much as how do people vote, like, party-wise with with Trump or whoever the Democratic nominee is, really, and then their policy is what's going to, or the majority, right, it's going to be implemented.
1: Well, Democrats definitely think it's a winning issue. I mean, you saw in 2018 a ton of ads and mailers and everything about, uh, you know, from Democrats kind of attacking Republicans for trying to repeal Obamacare and things like that, and from Democratic strategists I've talked to, they think that worked, uh, that that was a big factor in kind of the national you know, blue wave effect you saw then. I think
2: Medicaid expansion, you're gonna see that in a lot of the Democrats at the legislative and state level. Well,
1: you're right, Colin. I mean there's a reason why Roy Cooper made it his kind of defining, you know, red line issue this year for the budget. You know, I mean I, I don't know that he ever went out and directly said, I will, you know, veto this budget, or I am vetoing this budget because of Medicaid, but you, there were so many times... He, he, wouldn't, he
3: I, yeah. I used to like, so many different, like, words in my stories. I'm like, it's, it's the heart of the budget stalemate, or the core, right. or the center of it. But it is at the center. But he was always careful, I think, to qualify it with school's money and something else but teacher raises or whatever so that wasn't the only thing but the republicans said over and over again i mean Burr said so many times medicaid
2: or nothing ultimate and that's what you know so
3: like i'd like to know like was there was there some sort of conversation that like we'll never you know there's no record of that we can have access to where Cooper actually said that and it was the single yeah. issue and they I want a recording of that
2: Bojangles biscuit <sighs> what was actually said behind closed doors there I mean was
3: it anything but, um, I don't, you know. Know. I I don't mean, know it
2: probably was just some pleasantries and they agreed to disagree and go home
0: it, it became pretty clear pretty fast because Cooper's legislative director uh, said at the forum that the News and Observer organized to talk about the upcoming session uh, back in I guess it would have been January um they asked when will the session end, and he said the session will end when we get Medicaid expansion. And um, the session really didn't end, uh, you know, So he was <laughs> so right. So expansion. it's never
3: <laughs> going to end. <laughs> yeah.
0: So they did at least take a couple weeks off for Christmas. They did. Uh, they I did mean, I can't.
3: Well, can, there's, I, I can't imagine a scenario where all of a sudden, like Berger and the other Republican leaders are going to say, "We love Medicaid expansion. Like, let's do this." Like they you know, even if they suddenly had this like huge change of policy. If, that, if Berger was busy even... by
2: three spirits in the middle <laughs> of the night and decided he's got a different tune well, in the morning.
3: I think like, I, I mean, I, I liked the, the insider event where Blue and Berger talked about how they both see like a lot of these healthcare problems and just have completely different thoughts on how you go about solving them. And I think that's just a divide that's, Not gonna change. Yeah, I mean, everybody agrees
2: there's a problem, but the policy solution until you get it, because like
3: the people who like hated Obamacare have it, and then they're like, "Don't you take my Obamacare? Don't you Mm -hmm. take my Social Security, or you know, or my Medicare, or my pension, or whatever else, you know?" Like once you have it, but it's like until you have it, like you know, people don't know if they like it or not, right, or what it means. But even like Lambeth pushing through the Medicaid expansion. Comprom- or not even pushing through, floating the idea of a I Medicaid remember, expansion compromise, and he cannot sell fellow Republicans on it at all. Yeah, I remember like, when the,
2: the budget vote was called and Moore said, we'll have this other bill on the floor next week? Um, that was in, you know, whatever that date was. Of yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, so obviously or like... oh my like, goodness,
3: like House Republicans are having Medicaid expansion compromise, and this is going to happen. Yeah, it's but like, no, they don't. You know, like <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> but it showed there's some movement on... How like people within different parties and um, you know think about like what are the solutions? What are the policy solutions to this without costing taxpayers too much money? Right? And where's our taxpayer refund? I just wanted to say
1: that the budget surplus there. Yeah, we didn't quite make headliner of the year because
2: we never wrote the headline that it actually passed. But I saw both Virginia and South Carolina have given tax refunds for I think similar reasons over the last few months. And North Carolinians, where's my check, man? Want that check in the mail.
3: Yep. I mean, budget surplus, it's just sitting there. Yeah,
2: know. it could be burning it's, up a hole in my pocket and let me just, go spend some stuff. It's
3: just Scrooge McDuck's like money of hours my kids sitting daycare. around you know, a couple of five minutes.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, on that note, right. uh, <laughs> healthcare is my headliner of
0: the year Okay, so. <laughs> Healthcare in the hat for headliner of the year. Um, well, I am going to go with that viral moment of uh, the oh, budget yeah. veto vote just because that, that really uh, um, kind of encapsulates the year and where we are with divided government. And uh, um, so Dawn is our winner uh, this week and this year. But thank uh, you
3: for not usurping the process. But
0: I, but I do think that you know that, that really we're gonna you know this this is healthcare is the reason that we're kind of still where we are and, and still in session to some extent and coming right back in in a few days and uh, a couple weeks into uh, into the legislative session again and so healthcare may well be the the headliner of 2020 um, because they're gonna keep talking about it and they're going to. Be talking about it in in every campaign, pretty much for election 2020 um, in gerrymandered districts. So,
1: well, in 2021, um, uh, I, I'd say a, a betting man would uh, would place money on me making that my headliner again in 2021. Yeah, because yes. <laughs> we're gonna
0: be doing it all again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and maybe it'll still be your beat if you're lucky. You well. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well then good we'll just go ahead and name gerrymandering the 2021 headliner of the year and healthcare the 2020 health of the year so we don't have all to do this right. again thanks for listening
2: tune in, <laughs> in 2022
3: yeah.
2: that'll do it for dumbcast for this decade and the next couple
3: of years i call dibs on 2022
0: <laughs> uh we'll all be uh, talking about mark walker versus pat mccrory for uh for senate In 2022, so we can just skip right ahead to that. The politicians have already skipped ahead to it, so I don't know why we can't. Um, Pre-write those stories now and take the next two years off. Yeah. All right. Well, for Don Vaughn, Will Doran, and Colin Campbell, I'm Jordan Schrader. Uh, Have a great 2020, and we'll catch you here soon.